0: 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. You should celebrate yourself every day. But some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection.
1: Hello and welcome to the special bonus episode of The Irish Economics Podcast. On today's episode, I'm joined by Linda Tunström and Stephen Newbold, who are assistant professors at the University of Wyoming. Along with their co-authors, they produced a very interesting paper quantifying the costs of social distancing and comparing it to the benefits. Given the rapid turnaround time, Stephen and Linda produced a fairly robust argument in favor of social distancing. So, provides an evidence base to reassure us that even The hard-nosed economists agree that this is the correct course of action to take. So Lyndon and Stephen, it's great to have you both on the podcast. I hope you're both keeping safe and well during the lockdown. Um, So the first thing maybe we could consider is just the general topic and the headline message of the paper um, in terms of social distancing. A lot of media messages were perhaps saying that we could be overreacting when it comes to social distancing, imposing economic costs that perhaps might outweigh the benefits, but your paper would suggest that these economic costs are entirely justified.
2: Would that be correct? Um, yeah. Your are opening um, remarks about uh, people questioning whether or not um, you know our reaction to this outbreak is an overreaction or not—that was the, you know, of course, the main sort of motivation for doing this study um, as quickly as we could, and we wanted to find out just that: is it. Um, is it plausible or likely, one way or the other, that measures that are that are coming online now in the U.S. and elsewhere are going to be worth the economic pain that is also going to come along with those measures? And so, you know, the way we set about trying to answer that question is to set up as straightforward a model as possible that has, you know, the the key ingredients to this, and that, and those include the the value of the lives that we expect to save um through these measures and the, the value of the the lost gdp
1: okay so you it's a straightforward cost-benefit analysis i suppose where you compare the um the hard economics of the losses in gdp and maybe the statistical losses of the value of a life which considers maybe the economic implications of 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 the deaths associated with, with, with the outbreak but before we even consider maybe the moral or, or social impacts, it would, there is a strong economic argument that we should be social distancing. So th- would that be correct?
2: That, yeah, that's right. Our, you know, we, um, we ran a number of scenarios, but we tried to you know, frame everything around a, a middle-of-the-road scenario, which takes you know, the, the most plausible values for all the important assumptions um, that go into this benefit-cost analysis and run that all the way through and compare, right, the value of the f- lives saved. And, you know, we might talk about the, how we value those lives in a moment with the lost GDP, which is what we're thinking of as the cost side in this in this benefit cost analysis. But a main, our middle of the road um, scenario gives us, you know, something on the order of $5 trillion in net benefits. That's the difference between the value of the lives that are, um, lost in the controlled scenario versus the uncontrolled scenario compared to, you know, our, our central uh, benchmark scenario for the, the difference between the GDP loss um, discounted back to the present in those two scenarios.
1: So maybe we could go into the, the modeling. So could you tell us a bit about how you, um, just the general framework, the modeling framework, you went to maybe come to calculate these numbers?
2: Sure. Yeah, it's got... Um, A couple of key, I guess two, uh, two key parts. Um, The first one is the the model of infections and deaths resulting from infections over time. And, and for that part of the analysis, we used a a textbook model that tracks um, the number of susceptible individuals, infected individuals, and recovered individuals over time as the, you know, as the virus spreads through a population. Um, and so that model, sort of two key inputs of that model is um, a parameter uh, that we call contact rate. This is, you know, sort of uh, measures how, how um, frequently uh, people run into each other and um, provide opportunities to spread the virus between um, someone who's currently infected and someone who isn't. And um, mortality rates—once um, someone's infected what's the likelihood that they will not survive the infection. Um, so those, uh, you know, those are among the parameters that we had to specify to, to run this model, and those came from, you know, that's based on our best read of of the current literature that's you right. know, coming out rapidly. On
1: sure. So the average. Infection rate and maybe the average rate that you pass on the infection to, to those around you, um, right? Okay, and then you were able to calculate mortality rates from that, presumably.
2: That's right. Okay. Yeah, we're also you know, using um, mor- uh, mortality rate conditional on being affected, um, and there's two <laughs> there's two important mortality rates there. We, we've um, one important aspect of the model is this assumption about how, what's the capacity of our healthcare system to, to take care of people who are infected as they become infected. Um, one of the big concerns is that we're going to overwhelm the, the healthcare system and have too many people go into the hospital at one time. So not everyone can get the full you know standard of care we're used to. Um, your listeners are familiar with you know concerns about running a not having enough capacity in terms of ventilators, um, beds in the hospitals. And so we part of the model is, uh, involves, you know, estimating what the elevated mortality rate would be. So that's another important ingredient. Um, and for both of those mortality rates, again, we're trying to, you know, pick um, the the most middle-of-the-road estimates we, um, we can discern from, from the literature that's come out on this so sure. far.
1: So it's... Um... I suppose to clarify, of course, it's it's a U.S. Uh, it's a U.S. case study, and um, mm. you would uh, take into account, I suppose, the average capacity. Would that be right in in the U.S. and then, or maybe the the aggregate capacity, and yeah. then just compare the need with with the capacity at any one time. Would that be right?
2: That's right. Yeah, it's based. Uh, it is the idea is um, it's it's very aggregate. Um, capacity sort of threshold that's in the model that the the model is you know uh, basically um, treats the entire U.S. population as a single aggregate and so the number of infections that we're um, projecting over time is the number in the entire country so this contract rate is some some kind of average across the entire country and the, and the healthcare care system capacity is also you know a, a nationwide sure quantity that's in the so, model.
1: So that would perhaps give you a maybe a best case scenario in the sense that it doesn't take into account maybe inequality of opportunity that some or some regions might be better served than others and some sections of society may be better served than others. So if, if we take that into account, perhaps it could be an even greater cost. Would that be, would that be correct?
2: It could be. Uh, yeah, it doesn't account for differences over space. So, you know, this is trying to, we're thinking of it as, as an As an average over an entire country, but certainly it's gonna be the case that prices are gonna be worse than others
1: but then i I suppose the other aspect is is g d p and how it affects maybe the macro economy. Could you tell us something about how you how you calculate those estimates
2: uh we can Linda, do you wanna
0: take this one <laughs> well sure um so Again, you know, like we did with um, with benefits or with life saved, you know, we are looking at the country average. So all the all your concerns that apply to taking the average that you know some regions might be worse affected than others would apply to to the GDP as well. But you know, basically what we did is we pulled numbers from um, you know the best um, our best read of the literature also there. Um, You know, people have much greater resources at doing macroeconomic forecasts uh, than we would have. So we just pull those numbers. Goldman Sachs recently came out. So on March 20th, Goldman Sachs came out with a forecast um, of the U.S. economy um, a couple of years ahead. That includes um, social distancing or the effect of social distancing as well. And there's another study that came out a little earlier this year that, Um, forecasted the economic consequences uh, of the pandemic for the US under a range of different scenarios, but that did not entail social distancing. So we could use those numbers uh, to um, um, to, get an idea of what the GDP drop might be if we did nothing or if we didn't implement social distancing and, um, and what they might be if we do and then we had to make some assumption as well about the recovery rate of the economy. So, you know, both the sort of initial drop, which would be, you know, the numbers that we pull them from those studies. And then we needed to think about, all right, how long will it take for the economy to recover? And um, so we need to make assumptions about that, too. And there we looked at the average recovery rate for bear markets, Um and um, that since I think I think 1835 there was a study, and that ended up being six years. So that's where we applied um, for that. We, we you know played around with different numbers. Um, the recovery rate seemed to be a little quicker after the Spanish flu, for instance, in the U.S. Um, the beginning of 1918, and um, and that if we used the recovery period there, then our forecast would have been a little more optimistic than it right is right now so even higher net benefits and net social benefits than um, than we came up with but we we tried to be fairly conservative in you know most of the assumptions that we did for the economy um, just to um, you know to see um, sort of well get a more conservative estimate I guess of what the net net benefits might be
1: sure okay um, so Very much a so a conservative account of how the economy might recover, and you said sixty months in terms of what the what the recovery rate would be. That was what you found in for the Spanish flu. So that's yeah, quite a
0: no. That was not for the Spanish flu. That was the bear market's recovery rate. Yeah, but but we also looked at the Spanish flu, which was a little bit of a shorter um, recovery rate. But yeah,
1: okay. So that's basically the time it takes to get back to the trajectory you would have been on beforehand. Is that correct? Right. Okay. That's correct. Sure. Okay. So, so when you compare these two, you said it gives a net benefit of five trillion trillion U.S. dollars. To put that into account, I just I I, I, I sent you on just a general headline figure, which would be twenty five percent of U.S. GDP, which is, is yeah. quite quite a substantial amount of money compared to maybe say Trump's stimulus package of something like ten percent of GDP. So. Yeah given the sort of impacts... I like those
0: numbers. <laughs> Pardon? Yeah, I, I like the comparison that you did that. I thought that was... Okay, well, was sure, well, feel <laughs> yeah. free to
1: use it in your favor. Um, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> no, just just to put into account, because I hear a lot of people talking about the impacts, and we see these impacts of 10% GDP, and I know in the UK, the stimulus is 15%. Here in Ireland, or in the Republic of Ireland, there's a 2.2% yeah. of, of GNI stars, the preferred mm-hmm. measure of, of the economy, but it's... um but more due to coma. And it's expected that sort of stimulus will be around the 15% mark. But I suppose the take-home message I would take there is that this is a huge, like there is already huge money being pumped into the economy to recover from this. And this yeah. cost could hurt an awful lot more unless we take the yeah. appropriate the appropriate mm-hmm. response.
0: Very true. And, and also, you know, it's worth remembering too that regardless of what, we, what, what happens here, you know, the social distancing itself is not what pushes us into recession. It might push us into a deeper, temp- you know, at least temporarily deeper recession. Um, mm-hmm. But, um, but we, we would most likely enter a recession either way, which would mean that we would most likely, you know, aim for economic stimulus either way. Maybe not of this magnitude, uh, but there are also studies. There is a recent study um, that came out also a few days ago um, that shows that in during the spanish flu it seemed like cities in the us who had implemented social distancing earlier also recovered faster after mm-hmm. the um um the the pandemic so you know it, it's um it, it, i think it's it's really interesting to make these comparisons and looking at, at the stimulus packages and and you know the the trillions of dollars that they might also entail, but we wouldn't be without that even if we didn't have social distancing.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, I I, I fully fully agree. I I know you had a, a sensitivity analysis then in terms of different break-even points. Could you maybe explain what what, what, that, what that analysis maybe might tell us?
0: Yeah. So um, what we did there. Well, we did, a, I guess, a bunch of different things. I mean, first of all, we know that, you know, the, well, the sensitivity analysis was really important to our study uh, because there's so much uncertainty surrounding a lot of the numbers that we have in the analysis. I mean, we're in an early stage still, mm. at least when it comes to data collection, you know, of of the pandemic. Um, we, you know, it's going to take us years until we know the full impact, um, both on the economy and, you um, you know, on on public health from from this pandemic. So, uh, but that doesn't really help when we're going to make policy decisions, when we're going to decide on whether or not we should implement social distancing. You know, this is this is the time that we need to do that, or ideally maybe even earlier. Um, so we need to make our best sort of guesstimate on whether or not it's worth it. Um, so. We knew that there was a lot of uncertainty surrounding, you know, some of the, the parameters or, or a multitude of parameters that we're using, so the, key, the sensitivity analysis was really important. So then, you know, what we're doing is, um, you know, what Steve so phenomenally did was, you know, to try to push the, the results in the, in the different direction. You know, what happens, how far can we push all these numbers before our result will flip? Um so that is what the sensitivity analysis does it varies um, you know one by one the parameter values and sees you know when how how low or how high can they go before we flip our results
1: right okay and is there any maybe headline results that you found that would be perhaps of greatest interest when it comes
2: to um, making policy decisions um the two that jump out at me are the uh, the value of um, statistical life that we use in the model, we use a um, a, a very standard number for that um, parameter. It's it's one that's recommended by U.S. federal government agencies for official benefit cost analyses um, of government regulations. So um, I feel pretty good about that number, but there is uh, study. You know, people are still studying the heterogeneity of the value of statistical life over um, the age, over the life cycle at, at different ages. So that's a um, still ongoing area of study. And there's some, you know, so there's some studies that um, suggest that VSL goes down later in life. Some suggest the opposite. Um, there's, there's different um, sort of estimated schedule, VSL schedules over, over the life cycle. So we definitely wanted to, to test the sensitivity of the results that that parameter, and that's one, gosh, I forgot, I'm i not even looking at it, um, but I think the, the break-even number is somewhere around $5 million. Yeah. Um, so that's an important um, dimension for the sensitivity analysis. And the other one that um, I think is important is this speed to time to recovery for the economy. So it is possible, and, and the point of all of these is you know, to to recognize that it is possible to get the um, opposite result, right? If the parameters, if, if things work out in a certain way, we could end up, you know, sort of over-controlling. If, the, you know, if it turns out the mortality rates are much lower than we um, believe at this time, and yet we still, you know, impose severe prolonged social distancing, we could end up with a GDP loss in present value terms that's greater than the Right, life safe, right? So that was the whole point of this exercise, and we wanted to find out sort of how big is the space um, within which our, our main result holds, qualitatively at least. So we're trying to trace out the edges of that with this sensitivity analysis. And, and the recovery time is, is another important one. Um, if we, you know, if the economy takes much longer to recover under the controlled case and the uncontrolled case, then, then that's another dimension where we can uh, we see negative net benefits as a result.
1: Okay, so if so, the positive net benefit given your um, your central case study of 16 months is that correct? But if it takes, if there's a there's a threshold beyond that, yeah. if it takes longer than that, then yeah. perhaps we're we're yeah faced with loss. I'm just looking right. at the, at the paper here. I think is it 68 months? Is that would that be correct? Yeah,
0: that's right. So if um, what 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 we're seeing in the paper was what that analysis shows is that if if with social distancing um, the recovery time would take more than 68 or 69 months um, then that would flip our results or um, you know if if um, the recovery time in the uncontrolled scenario so without social distancing would be less than 48 months um, then that would flip our result as well okay so so it really depends it's the um, it's the relative rate of recovery uh between those two scenarios that is um that is important
1: okay so i suppose just to to wrap up then um i imagine given the the, the necessary speed with which you very impressively produced this piece of work it, it, is it still a work that's ongoing or have you any plans to develop it further or are any any more pr- progressions o- on what's presented at the moment
0: well first of all you know we um we're likely to refine uh, these results as time goes on so we get better estimates of you know the parameters or more precise estimates of the parameters that that, that would go into the model so this you know could be a fairly alive you know living document if you will um, in in terms of you know trying to, to understand better what social distancing does for our, um, um, for net benefits to society but um, so that's one one thing um, we are also working on you know other um, other diseases and so that's you know one reason why we could Pick this up fairly quickly, because we had already been thinking about measles and and you know we had a project already started um, on um, other diseases but but yeah, there is a ton of questions that that this generates of course and and you know hopefully you know a lot of economists are going to look into what the economic impact is you know from from social distancing um, and benefits and costs to um, the pandemics, and there are a few other studies out there as well, you know, that look at either the benefit side or or um, the GDP impact from um, from pandemics. So that is also, you know, really helpful.
1: Thank you very much for taking the time to speak. Uh, it's a very interesting piece of work and a very important piece of work. So it's um, hopefully we'll get the um, the attention it deserves. So thank you, thank you both very much for the, for, for speaking with me today.
0: Well, thank you so much for having us.
1: Yeah, thank you so much. So my thanks to Linda and Stephen for agreeing to come on the podcast at short notice. I hope you have enjoyed the first week of this new series. If you haven't already done so, please make sure to check out my conversation with Michael McMahon. He has an excellent account of the general macroeconomic response to COVID-19. Alongside that, please like and subscribe on your podcast app a review on itunes is like gold dust helps us climb up the ranks and get noticed by other people so if you're if you're listening on an iphone just scroll down hit a five stars and if you get time write a short review it really makes a huge difference um so hope you've been enjoying the new episode so far i have some very interesting topics lined up for the next few weeks and looking forward to that and speaking to you next week